0: This is a Timmet Podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. The title of this episode is War on Walnut. War on Walnut. Nothing happens on Walnut Crescent that I don't know about. I'm home all day and have nothing better to do than wander around checking out all the neighbors. I know which gentleman sneaks home from his important government job during the afternoon to spend an hour or two with his blonde assistant before his wife gets back from work. I know which genteel woman, a pillar of the community, spends her days drinking wine at the kitchen table and flicking through pornographic pictures on her laptop. And I know all about war from watching TV. So I never expected war to break out on Walnut Crescent. Mr. Klimashefsky's house looks like it's been abandoned. The snow is never shoveled. The painted trim around the windows is peeling, and the siding is falling off. Mr. Klimashefsky doesn't seem to notice. Or maybe he just doesn't care. He comes home every evening, drives into his garage, And then disappears. Nobody sees him until the next morning when the garage door opens. He backs the car out and goes to work downtown doing accounting things. Nobody knows what goes on in his house. The curtains are always closed and the lights are never on, even in the winter. The house used to be very nice when the Simmons family lived there. But their carefully tended front lawn has long since run wild. Mr. doesn't mow the grass and the birdbath has fallen over. Mr. Simmons' prize garden out back and the little greenhouse in which he started his plants are as neglected as the house. Chuck says it's really too bad what has happened to the house since the Simmons family moved to Nanaimo. Mr. Klimashevsky lives alone. Why he needs such a big house and why he doesn't look after it are the subjects of some recurring discussion in our house. But what could one really expect of a person like Mr. Klimashefsky? He owns a cat, a cat that is as furtive as its owner. The cat doesn't even have a name. Lily's house next door will never win prizes for its innovative landscaping. Tourists will never drive by just to take a look. It's quite an ordinary house. But at least Lily shovels the sidewalk so that people headed down to the mailbox don't have to walk in the street. She mows the grass and had a new roof installed last year. Next to Mr. Klimashevsky's house, Lily's place is immaculate. Lily used to be a social worker in the communities before she burned out. Now she works for the government downtown, attracting tourists to Yukon. She rents out rooms in her house to busy single people with jobs. I hardly ever see them, because they're often away. So it goes without saying that Lily is a dog person. She has two dogs, Molly and Maggie, who go skijoring with Lily in the winter. Not long ago, in the afternoon of a sunny spring day, I was ambling down the street, on my way to nowhere in particular, when I felt the need to urinate. I was just in front of Mr. Klimashefsky's house, so... Without much thought to the consequences, I peed on a tuft of weeds in Mr. Klimashevsky's yard that had once been the site of Mr. Simmons' prize roses. The door of Mr. Klimashevsky's house exploded open, and Mr. Klimashevsky rushed out. I was so surprised with this uncharacteristic appearance that I just stood there to see what would happen. Mr. Klimashevsky rushed over to me and, without warning, gave me an amazingly swift kick. Exhibiting an agility that I did not know he possessed. I was stunned by the unprovoked attack. This was so unlike anything that had ever happened to me before that I didn't know what to do. I just blinked and backed away. Lily was just getting out of her car next door and saw what happened. As Molly and Maggie barked their outrage through the fence by the side yard, Lily rushed over and started feeling my ribs to see if any were broken. She looked up at Mr. Klemyshevsky standing over us. "'You bastard!' she said. "'What did you do that for?' "'Damn dog,' said Mr. Klemyshevsky defensively. "'He peed on my lawn,' he continued, "'as if that was sufficient justification. "Your lawn!' shouted Lily. "'You've got no lawn. "'It's friggin' tundra, "'and your excuse for a house is a falling-down eyesore.' Mr. Klemyshevsky spun on his heel, marched back to his house, and slammed the door. The only sign of movement was the smug and nameless cat gloating in the upstairs bedroom window. Lily took me home to my people and explained to Chuck and Mara what had happened. They checked me too to see if I was injured. My side hurt, but I was okay. Quark, I think you should avoid Mr. Klemyshevsky's house for the time being, warned Mara. "'shaking her finger at me. "'I knew she wasn't happy, but she wasn't mad at me. "'I went to bed and lay there until the next morning. "'But it wasn't quite as simple "'as not going near Mr. Klemiszewski's house. "'I had my rounds in the neighbourhood to think of. "'I couldn't simply abandon my duties. "'The next morning, I was up fairly early "'and went down to see Molly and Maggie. "'We were discussing through the fence "'what had happened the day before, "'when suddenly... Mr. Klimashevsky's garage opened. I flattened myself against the fence so he wouldn't see me. However, he never even glanced in our direction as he wheeled his big plastic garbage bin out to the curb. He went back to his garage and re-emerged in his car, closed the garage door, and then drove out and around the corner a bit too fast. Lily emerged from her house just as Mr. Klimashevsky was leaving. She came over and talked to us for a bit, then wheeled her plastic garbage bin out to the curb. I saw her pause for a moment, thinking. She glanced around the street, and when she saw nobody else was watching, she went over and grabbed the handle on Mr. Klimashefsky's garbage bin. She flipped it up on its wheels, dragged it back to Mr. Klimashefsky's house, and left it in front of his garage door. Then she got into her car, waved to us, and drove off to work. What was that all about? asked Molly and Maggie in unison. They were good running dogs, but they weren't very smart. I explained it to them patiently. You know that it's garbage day every second Wednesday, right? Right, said Molly and Maggie together. Well, Mr. Klemiszewski's garbage has been accumulating for two weeks. If it doesn't get picked up today, it's going to be another two weeks before the garbage truck comes back again. And so what? asked Molly and Maggie. So, humans are sensitive to smells in a different way than we are. We like garbage smells, but they don't. So Lily has just made sure that Mr. Klimashefsky's garbage won't get picked up today, and it'll have another two weeks to get smelly in the warm weather. And maybe he'll have too much garbage by then to fit in the bin. He's not going to be happy. Wicked! exclaimed Molly and Maggie. I was there when Mr. Klimashefsky came home that evening, but I took great care to hide around the corner of the house. Mr. Klimashefsky climbed out of his car when he saw his garbage bin in front of his garage door, instead of out by the curb where he expected it to be. He swore profusely when he discovered it hadn't been emptied. He glared around angrily. I shrank back behind the corner of the house, and then peered out again. Mr. Klimashefsky tipped the garbage bin up on its wheels, and jerked it to one side, so he could put his car in the garage. The following Monday morning, I was patrolling the neighbourhood as usual, when I noticed Mr. Klimashefsky standing out in his front yard, whistling. This was quite out of character, and he didn't appear to be doing anything in particular. He certainly wasn't cutting the grass, so I watched him carefully from across the street. It took me a while to figure it out. He was waiting. Mr. Klemiszewski waited until Lily had driven off to work. He made an obvious effort not to look at her as she drove past. He waited another five minutes or so. Then he glanced round to make sure no one was watching and slipped over to the fence behind which Molly and Maggie watched. They barked as he approached, but when he flipped open the gate, they rushed out without so much as a thank you. By the time Mr. Klemiszewski climbed into his car... Molly and Maggie had disappeared down Pine Street at full gallop, headed toward the creek. They really liked to run, and I knew I wouldn't see them for a while. Later I got part of the story from Molly and Maggie and overheard the rest as Lily spoke with my people. The dogs had made it all the way across the Alaska Highway and up the hill to Copper Ridge before they had been taken into custody to a place called The Pound. Lily didn't get them out until the next morning and it had cost her a lot of money. It was that idiot Klimashevsky, she said. He let them out. I just know it. Lily waited until the next garbage day. She waited a bit longer to ensure that Mr. Klimashevsky had gone to work. Then she wheeled his garbage bin back to his garage as before. The bin was almost full, and it smelled just wonderful. However, this time, Lily had another idea. She centred the bin in front of Mr. Klimashevsky's garage door. She took over two bags of fresh dog poop that she had harvested from her own yard that very morning and she emptied them into Mr. Klimashevsky's garbage bin. She then went to get her garden hose from where it hung on the side of her house. She turned on the tap, unwound the hose and stretched it over to Mr. Klimashevsky's garbage bin. Leaving all the garbage bags and new smelly bits in the bin, she filled the rest of the bin with water and closed the lid. Lily stepped back to admire her handiwork, then turned off the tap and wound the hose back to the side of her house. She said goodbye to Molly and Maggie and went to work. Lily wasn't there when Mr. Klimashefsky got back from work, but I was. There was no way I would have missed the drama. Mr. Klimashefsky leapt from his car swearing when he saw his garbage bin in the driveway again. He ran over and tipped it up on his wheels in preparation for moving it out of the way. What Mr. Klemiszewski had not appreciated was that the weight of the water in the bin and the change in the center of gravity made the bin handling characteristics much different than usual. Mr. Klemiszewski tipped the bin backwards to an angle that would have been appropriate for moving it if it had contained fairly light bags of garbage. But because the bin was mostly full of water, the angle was sufficient to ensure the bin tipped over backwards. The tipping bin caught Mr. Klimashevsky under it and knocked him down on the driveway. The lid flipped open and smacked him in the face. Then a tsunami of water, wet garbage, and sodden dog poop surged out over Mr. Klimashevsky and up his driveway. Seconds later, the wave reversed direction and flowed back down toward the garage, drenching Mr. Klimashevsky again, as he struggled to free himself from under the bin. It was at this point that Lily arrived home. If she saw Mr. Klimashevsky standing on his uninjured leg, dripping and covered in filth, his nose bleeding, she gave no indication. She got out of her car, went over to greet Molly and Maggie, and then went into her house. Mr. Klimashevsky glared at her. Things came to a head three days later. On that afternoon, I escorted Mara down to the corner to meet Alex as she hopped off the school bus. On the way home, we stopped to talk to Molly and Maggie. Mara let me into the yard so we could play together, and she carefully latched the gate behind me. Lily would let me out when she got back from work, so I could go home for supper. We had done this before. Molly, Maggie, and I did the usual crotch-sniffing ritual. Um, Don't ask. It's, It's a dog thing. Then... We had a good game of run around the garden shed which is much more difficult than one might imagine with three of us playing it's never easy knowing when to turn around and run the other way our game was interrupted by the meter man who came to check the electrical meter on the back of the house we growled and tried to sound quite menacing but he wasn't having any of that it's it's really hard to sound menacing when someone's scratching your ears and then because it was a warm day we lay in the shade of the pine tree doing our meditation imagining a better world. We dogs do a lot of that. It was then that I realized that Mr. Klemyshevsky's cat, the cat with no name, was in Mr. Klemyshevsky's yard, basking in the sun. He knew we were next door, but he also knew that we couldn't get to him. He was gloating again, and it was frustrating. But I have learned not to let the emotions of others affect me personally, except for those of my family, of course. I was pondering the situation of Mr. Klimashevsky's cat when a sudden presence alerted me. Two coyotes appeared at the entrance to Mr. Klimashevsky's yard. With the exception of the cat next door, all animals who have people also have names. Animals from the forest, however, only project vague concepts. The two coyotes projected blackness and hunger. I knew them from walks in the forest, where they kept their distance because my people were always with me. After a furtive glance or two, blackness and hunger advanced steadily into Mr. Klimashevsky's yard and toward the cat. The cat didn't notice him because he was too busy being smug. It was at that point that I faced an ethical dilemma. On one hand, I really wanted to see what would happen between the coyotes and the cat but my responsibility for maintaining good order and discipline won out and I barked to warn the nameless cat. Molly and Maggie joined in. The cat's eyes snapped open just a bit too late. Through some lack of foresight, the cat was cornered in the sunny back corner of the yard where there were no trees to spring to and only the chain-link fence, which the cat knew he could not climb. The cat hissed and backed up. The coyotes advanced steadily, mockingly, projecting what they were going to do. It was not a pleasant prospect for the cat. Right then, Lily arrived back from work. She heard us barking, saw what was happening in Mr. Klimashevsky's yard, and sprang into action. She grabbed the old ski pole that marked the drop-off edge of her driveway. She charged into Mr. Klimashevsky's yard, brandishing the pole The coyotes looked back uncertainly and hesitated just a bit too long. Lily brought the pole down with a firm whack across Hunger's back before the two coyotes turned and fled. As they rushed out of the yard, they brushed past Mr. Klemiszewski, who was just getting out of his car. Lily emerged from the yard, cradling the trembling cat in her arms. She explained to Mr. Klemiszewski what had happened, and he thanked her for saving the cat. They talked for a bit, and they came and sat on Molly and Maggie's back deck to drink tea. Lily let me out and told me it was time to go home. That Saturday, I saw Mr. Klimashefsky steadying Lily's extension ladder, as Lily was up the side of Mr. Klimashefsky's house, securing the loose siding. Molly and Maggie reported that Mr. Klimashefsky had come over one afternoon to help Lily with her taxes. He's not really as bad as all that, said Lily tomorrow later. And there's a sad story behind it all. You see, his wife and children were killed in some sort of accident before he moved to Yukon. That would make anybody a bit weird, I guess. And that was the end of the war. Sometimes it's really hard to understand why people do the things they do. But after all, they're only human. This has been a Timmitt podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timitt.ca podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.